We've been in Second John for a few weeks. We come to the close of the study of this very short book, really a letter. Second John, you can turn there with me. We've been learning in our study here in Second John that we are commanded to believe the truth. We're commanded also to obey the truth. And one of the ways we obey the truth is by loving one another according to the truth. Christians are to love as an act of willing, joyful, grateful obedience to God's Word. So one of the ways we show our obedience to God's Word is by loving others, just as God's Word commands. And we've touched on that. We also learned last time, our last time together in 2 John, that we must be guided by the truth. John says, watch yourselves. We must allow our thinking, our speech, our conduct, our work, and all our activities to be shaped and guided by the truth of God's Word. That means that we ought to know God's Word so well, that we ought to be so familiar with God's truths that we don't have to stop and think about whether the words we're saying are Christ-honoring or not. Although it wouldn't help for us to stop for a moment before we say some things that we want to say and say, hmm, would this honor Christ? Or is this in agreement with what God's Word says I should say or how I should say it? Because we might be able to say the right thing in the wrong, in the wrong motive, in the wrong way, with the wrong body language. So am I going to say this in a way that's in agreement with God's Word? Am I going to think the right thoughts? Am I thinking the truth of God's Word? Is what I'm thinking counter to what God's Word says I should be thinking about this? Many times in our spiritual lives, our thinking, how we think and what we think, is about 90% of the battle. We learned last time that we must be guided by the truth. We must watch ourselves. And we're guided by the truth when we examine our thinking, our speech, our conduct, our work, all our activities against the truth of God's Word. We must watch ourselves, as verse 8 says. We must examine ourselves closely, being certain that we are being guided by the truth and not the lies of the devil that, that we so easily believe. Now, being guided by the truth is critical, and I noted two reasons last week that the reason, two reasons that being guided by the truth is so critical. For one, we're all prone to drift. We are. We're all prone to drift away from the truth. We are not prone to drift to the truth. We might want to obey the truth. We might want to know the truth. But we aren't prone to just sit idly by and get more and more in tune with God and more and more in tune with Christ and more important, more in tune with the Word if we do nothing. We must be deliberate. The second reason we must watch ourselves, being certain that we're being guided by the truth, is that there are deceivers. There are deceivers. There are those who will deceive you into thinking things that are not true. There are, there are those who will deceive you and, and trick you into believing things that are in opposition to God's truth. They might mix in a portion of the truth. They might mix in a few things that sound, well, that sounds true. And the, the way they got there was that they didn't watch themselves. The way that deceivers got to be deceivers often is because they didn't watch themselves. They didn't either, either one, they didn't believe the truth from the get-go, or maybe they said they believed the truth, but they didn't take it 
personally, and I didn't think they needed to take the truth personally and obey it. Or someone came along and gave them error and helped lead them astray. And so we see these two, really these two strands come together here in the text this morning. This love balanced with truth. Love for God. Love for one another. Obedience to God's commands and how we love one another. And being committed to the truth and being guided by the truth. Love and watchfulness, I would say. Love and watchfulness are brought together here in these closing verses of Second John. We're going to see something here today that at first may seem out of place when you think of the many times that John has pointed, pointed out that, that we're commanded to love, demonstrating our obedience to the Word of God by, by loving one another in the church and by loving those who are hard to love at times, even whether they're in the church or outside the church. We're going to see something that might seem to contradict what John has said about loving one another, but it doesn't. What we find in our passage this morning is a warning. We saw the warning in verse 7 last week that there were many deceivers who had gone out into the world. That's still true today. There are still many deceivers in the world today. And, and the ease with which they can peddle their lies is much easier than it was before at the time John wrote. There are many who are doing Satan's work today, spreading a great many lies in opposition to God's Word. And for that reason, John warned those who were receiving his letter that they must watch themselves closely, pay attention to their own hearts and minds, that they be not deceived. And you must still do that today. I must still do that today. We must watch ourselves and guard our hearts and minds with the truth. And for that reason, John warned them that they must be very careful. There, there were then and there are now those who are deceiving others, but it's because they too at one time were deceived. And John's warning in verse 8 was that if you don't watch yourself, you too could be deceived and led away from the truth, and you too could be a part of leading others away from the truth. And as John warns in verse 8, if you lead others astray, you are very, very likely to do harm to the spiritual progress that you may have been working so hard to establish. We've been working hard in this church for many years to, to ground people in the truth and to give people the truth of God's Word. And if we begin to lead people astray, then we undo that work. We weaken that work. And there's the potential for lost reward from the Lord at the Day of Judgment. And John's talking to believers here. He's saying, don't be duped into believing something that's not the truth. Go to the Word. Know the truth. Believe the truth. Obey the truth. Guard your hearts with the truth. Don't be led astray. And don't lead others astray. You lead others astray. You undo your hard work, your hard labor in helping people know the truth, and you, and you potentially lose some of your reward at the Day of Judgment. He's talking to believers here. Now let's go to verse 9. And read to the end of Second John, verse 9, Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Now, verse 8, 
was a warning to believers. Watch yourselves that you don't lose what we have worked so hard for and that you don't lose part of your eternal reward. But in verses 9-11, through 11, the warning is about unbelievers. And those in the church must guard themselves against people, against forces who do not stay with the truth of God's Word. Or as John says in verse 9, those who do not abide in the teaching of Christ. And so verses 9-11 through 11 is a warning about unbelievers. Now at the beginning of verse 9, John says, everyone who goes on ahead... And the idea here is this. Those who go on ahead, those who are going on ahead are, are those who are introducing something that is beyond the truth. They're adding to the truth. They're going further than the truth goes. They're, they're introducing some new teaching. And this new teaching, by going on ahead, rejects the truth that Jesus taught. And it would also be a rejection of the teaching of the apostles. What they teach by going on ahead is a rejection of the gospel. It's a rejection of the good news of Jesus Christ. And by adding to the gospel, they actually reject the truth of the gospel that Jesus Christ was born as a babe, right? The the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came to earth, born as a babe, lived as a man, lived sinlessly, and then He was murdered, died a cruel death, the thing we commemorate this morning, remembering His shed blood and His sacrificed body for our sins. But He was the only one who could take the punishment for your sins and mine. And those who go on ahead distort that truth and distort that gospel. They either add to it or they take away from it. By adding to it, they're actually taking away from it. By adding to the gospel, they're actually taking away from the gospel. And that kind of thing happens today also. For example, there are those today who will tell you that there are many ways to heaven. Well, that's good you've got your religion. I've got mine too. It would be good to be in heaven, wouldn't it? There are many ways to heaven. That's good you've got your religion. I'll I'll take mine. You know, I think that my way is is a a way to heaven also. There are some who will say there are many ways to heaven, but that is a rejection. If you know your Bible, you know that that is a rejection of the truth that Jesus taught when He said, John 14.6, I am the way. He didn't say, I am a way. He said, I am the way the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. Now, He wasn't being arrogant. He was speaking the truth. And about those who teach another gospel and go on ahead, John says, they don't abide in the teaching of Jesus. (laughs) They don't abide in the teaching of the apostles either. And the, the teaching of the apostles was the teaching of Jesus. They got the teaching from Jesus and they got the teaching from the Holy Spirit and they taught what Jesus taught. And those who go on ahead reject the teaching of Jesus and and they do not have God. That's very strong language. He's saying they are unbelievers. They don't have eternal life. Verse 9, look at it. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. But in verse 9, he also says, that whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Now that might sound familiar because back in 1 John chapter 2, and and we're close, you can go back there with me if you like, 1 John chapter 2, just a few pages in your Bible. 1 John chapter 2 and verses 22 through 24, John says this, who, 1 John 2 verse 22, who is the liar 
but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And here in 2 John, those who add to the gospel actually take away from the gospel, and they, says John, are not believers. You must believe the truth. You must accept the truth, and then you must begin to obey the truth. Those who, those who confess that they believe in the truth of the gospel and believe in Jesus Christ are born again. Those who add to the gospel and go on ahead are not. They do not have fellowship with God and they do not have eternal life. And these threats to the purity of the church come not only from outside the church, but they can often come from within the church. For example, Paul warned the church at Corinth that there were some in their midst that had no knowledge of God. He says to them, he says in 1 Corinthians 15.34, Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame, he says. He's saying, look, there's people in your midst who are who they think they know a lot, but they're actually clueless. They don't have the truth. They don't have eternal life. And though many in Corinth thought they had great knowledge, Paul warned them that there were some who didn't even know God. John is saying similarly here in 2 John that there are those who are going on ahead and they're adding to the teaching of Christ. They're not abiding in the teaching. They're adding to the teaching. And they don't even know God. They're unbelievers. Now, what John says in verses 10 and 11, I pointed to it earlier, at first might seem out of place after having earlier here in Second John, made it clear that God's children are to love one another in obedience to the truth. But verses 10 and 11 help give even more meaning to verse 8. Right? Verse 8 says what? Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but win a full reward. Verses 10 and 11, look at them. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Now, I say that at first glance you might say, what is this? I thought Christians were supposed to be people who loved even those who were hard to love. What's this? If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him. Don't allow him into your house. Don't give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. I thought Christians were to love others. I thought Christians were supposed to be people who loved even those who are the, the might be labeled as unlovable. I thought Christians were to be kind to people. We're supposed to show hospitality to others. And I would say, yes, you're right. That is true. But let's remember a couple of things here. First of all, in that day there were inns, but they were often places of ill repute. This was not a place, if, if you were a traveler and you came to an inn, you were, in, you were likely not to have wanted to stay in one of these places. They didn't have the... the Abundance of motels like we have today. 
And so this was not a place for the average traveler. So those in the church would show hospitality to these traveling teachers. Hospitality was a real virtue and was admired. And according to the norms of hospitality, the host was not only giving the guest food and lodging, what they were also doing was guaranteeing to the rest of the community that the guest was a person who was trustworthy by showing them hospitality, by allowing them into their home, by giving them a place to sleep and food to eat. They were telling everyone else in the community, this guest is a trustworthy person. You can, you can listen to what they have to say. You can trust them. So if you provided a place for one of these traveling teachers, you, in effect, were calling them a trusted guest, and, and you relaxed suspicion in the community, the community of the, the suspicion of others who might have looked at a traveler and said, okay, can we trust this one? Let's watch them. Oh, wait, they're going into so-and-so's house. We must be able to trust them. They must be all right. And don't forget, the stakes are high here because we're talking about the belief of and teaching of and following of the truth of God. And should one come along who's teaching some other gospel running on ahead of the truth to show them hospitality was to potentially do great harm to others who would in turn trust in their message. And so John says, look, if you if you come across someone who's adding to the truth, who's going further than the truth and actually taking from the truth by doing so, you shouldn't even greet these kinds of people. Don't allow them into your home. You don't want to be a part of their wickedness. So what does John say they're to do? If anyone comes along requesting your hospitality who doesn't teach the truth of the gospel, and he's, he says you're, you're not to receive them, you're not to even give them a greeting. For those who greet this kind of a person take part in their wicked works, they take part in their deceit, and they take part in leading others astray. You don't want to be a part of that. Now, all of that to come to this question, which might be going through your mind, but what about us today? <laughs> How does that apply to us today? How does that apply to our lives today? Well, let me first tell you what this is not, what this does not mean. Because the first objection is, I thought Christians were supposed to be loving people, and yes, they are. I thought they're supposed to be hospitable. Yes, we are. But let me tell you what this is not. What we need to know today is that this is not a warning that we show no hospitality to those who need Christ. This is not a warning. This is not to say, look, you come across an unbeliever who needs the gospel, who needs a witness, stay away from them. Don't give them a greeting. Don't accept them into your home. This is not saying that. We are not to shun from our lives those who need Christ. Jesus himself was well known and greatly criticized for spending time with sinners. We have his example. You are to love your neighbor who needs Christ. You are to love that coworker who doesn't understand the gospel. You are to love them so much that you don't mind getting close enough to have them over for dinner and open up the door, hopefully, for the gospel to walk through and change their lives forever. Now, this is not a warning that we should not love and that we should not show hospitality to those who are in need of Christ. So how do we apply this teaching to our lives today? One commentator says this, To some modern minds, these instructions seem unduly rigid and harsh. A great part of the problem, however, lies in the modern inclination to be highly tolerant of religious differences. Can you identify with that? You hear that going around in our society today, don't we? We've got to be careful that we don't go the other direction in saying, 
While we need to be open and accepting of people who need Christ so that we can witness to them, we need to be very, very careful. And what John is saying, we don't, we need to be careful that we don't go the other direction and accept everyone, no matter what they say. That we become so tolerant of people's beliefs that we say, well, we can't disagree with them. We can't challenge them. We can't, we can't say, well, what you believe isn't true and, and try to give them the truth or challenge others. Don't follow that person because what they believe is not the truth of the gospel. We can't say that because we need to be tolerant. That happens, doesn't it? Our tolerance these days is a virtue, right? Tolerance for our religious differences is a virtue these days. The only thing that's intolerant is intolerance of, of our differences, right? And so we're allowed to be intolerant of those who are intolerant of, of, of uh, religious differences. But you cannot be intolerant of religious differences, which is a real problem. He goes on to say, one must frankly face the fact that the New Testament writers did not share this spirit of toleration. Their commitment to the truth and their consciousness of the dangers of religious error called forth many stern denunciations of false teachers. Not surprisingly, this modern age, having a diminishing sense of the dangers of heresy, has lost its convictions about the truth. We dare not lose our convictions about the truth. We would do well to study theology. Don't let it scare you. It's really not that hard. We would do well to, to, to find a volume of systematic theology and to, to make a project of reading through it over the next year. And if you want a suggestion, I've got a suggestion for you. I'd love to help you get a systematic theology and read through it. There are really good catechisms that have been put out over the years. There's a Baptist catechism that has good doctrinal statements that goes to Scripture. This is what you believe, and this is why you believe it, and this is what Scripture has to say about it. I would challenge you to, to learn things of doctrine. Do not allow your convictions to be watered down about the truth of the Gospel. This commentator goes on to say, but the passage ought not be taken beyond the writer's intent. He was thinking about false teachers actively engaged in disseminating error. In this activity, they are not to be helped at all. Even a word of greeting might tend to give them a sense of acceptance that, that could be misconstrued. The readers were to make plain from their aloofness that they in no way condoned the activities of these men. The same must be true today. But John did not directly address the question of how efforts should be made to win such people to a recognition of the truth. Yet... It is clear that any such efforts must be conducted so that they are not confused with any form of approbation or acceptance. You understand what he's saying? You see, people who have been deceived and who are peddling a, a false gospel, they need to be saved. And they need the gospel themselves. And yes, you, you may take it upon yourself to try to convince them of the truth, but don't let them drag you into the gutter of, of lies. And be very careful you don't open the door for someone else to say, well, you know so-and-so, and you, and you listen to their teaching, and I guess they're okay then. Yes, we witness to those people who need the gospel, but if they have gone beyond the truth and if they have gone out of the church and they are spreading their lies, we need to be very careful that we don't give them approval. So you see, the idea here is that we be very careful that we not help advance the teaching of those who contradict the truth of the gospel. Do you see how critical it is that you know the gospel? You see how important it is that you know God's Word, that you read it, you study it for yourself? We don't want to come off as harsh and unloving in a world that needs Christ. We need to be ready with the Gospel to give people the truth of the Scriptures, but we also need to guard ourselves, as John says in verse 8, guard yourself. Guard your heart and mind. 
Now, one of the ways this most commonly happens today that we lower our guard, and, and a couple that jump out to me are in, are in the, the, the books that we read and we recommend and in the television programs we watch and we recommend. Specifically, I'm talking about spiritual things. When you, when you have a, a book that's got spiritual, quote, unquote, spiritual wisdom in it, and you read it and you think, well, there's some truth here. This is good. And, and, or maybe someone gave it to you to read and you say, well, this is good. But then as you read, you, you come across statements that don't align with Scripture. And they begin to add to the truth or take away from the truth and lead people away from the truth. Do you recommend that book to the next person? You need to be careful, right? It's very easy for that to happen. Often we look at bestseller lists and we think, wow, if millions of people have bought this book, it must be good. I better read it too. And, and unfortunately, the things that are on the bestseller list today are, are often not the whole truth. Not always. I'm just saying most, most usually they're not always the whole truth and they're a dangerous water, dangerous territory. The other thing is in the television programs that we call religious to say, well, they're a good preacher or they're a good uh, uh, Bible teacher or they, they have a really good program. You've got to know the gospel. If you don't know the gospel, much of what's on those religious channels is not the whole truth and can lead people astray and weaken their faith and do great harm. Those are two ways that we easily allow people into our homes or encourage others to allow them into their homes that aren't teaching the whole truth. I'm not saying don't read. I'm saying read. Please do read. If you want suggestions, I have recommendations on wholesome biblical literature that you ought to fill your mind with. There are more books than you could possibly read this year that I would like for you to read. So if you want ideas, I've got ideas. But know the Word. Don't just take my word for it. This is why it's so critical that we become people of the book, that we open God's Word, we study the Word for its truth, and we come to the truth ready to believe, ready to obey, ready to have our mind and our thinking shaped by God's Word so that when we open whatever book's been recommended to us, we can spot error when we see it, if there's error there. And what do we do with those who come to our doors professing to be Christians, yet it's not the gospel they believe because... uh, you likely have them coming to your door like they do to mine, right? What do you do with those who come to your door professing to be believers, but it's not the gospel they believe? Warren Wiersbe answers this way. He says, We must exercise discernment. If they do not agree with the true doctrine of Christ, not only must we not let them in, but we we must not even say goodbye, which means God be with you. Why was John so adamant about this? Because he did not want any of God's children to, one, give a false teacher the impression that his heretical doctrine was acceptable, two, become infected because of association and possible friendship, and three, give the false teacher ammunition to use at the next place he stopped. If I entertain a cultist, for example, he will only say to the neighbors, there's no reason why you shouldn't let me in. After all, Pastor Wearsby let me in, and we had a wonderful talk. My disobedience could very well lead to somebody else's destruction. Let me make it clear that John was not saying only born-again people should enter our houses. Friendship, evangelism around the table is a wonderful way to win people to Christ. Christians need to be neighborly and hospitable. The apostle is admonishing us not to receive or encourage false teachers who represent anti-Christian groups, people who have left the church and are now trying to seduce others away from the truth. You can be sure that apostates use every opportunity they can to secure the endorsement of true Christians. 
So John's warning has been one more reminder for us of the importance of believing God's truth. Believe God's truth. Anything that contradicts God's truth is not true. Believe God's truth. Know His truth. Don't just take my word for it. Open the Scriptures for yourself and study it for yourself. Practice the truth in love. And make sure you guard yourself by the truth. Don't be led away from the truth. And don't allow yourself to be used to lead others away from the truth. Now look at verses 12 and 13. John's closing remarks point to the joy of Christian fellowship. Verse 12, Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. And what John is saying is it's, it's good to get a letter like he's sending. It's good to get a letter of greeting from a Christian brother or sister, but it's much better to be able to fellowship with them one-on-one, face-to-face in the church. It's much better to be able to fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ face-to-face. I mean, we can send letters, we can send emails, we can call one another, but it's much better when we get together. And that is why we assemble here on Sundays and at other times how sweet the bond of fellowship that we have in Christ. And the foundation for that bond is Christ, as I noted earlier before communion. And how much sweeter the fellowship and how much more joyful the fellowship when it is founded on the truth of God that He has revealed to us in His Word. We are privileged to have God's truth revealed to us in printed form. We have no excuse for not reading and studying the Word. For those who have a hard time seeing, if your sight is failing, you can listen to the Word on CD. We have no excuse for not having the Word and hearing the Word and allowing it to change our hearts and minds and how much sweeter the fellowship. We will have true fellowship. We will have true unity. When we believe God's truth and obey God's truth and we're guarded and guided by the truth and we walk in the truth, we've learned here in Second John to believe the truth, to know the truth, to obey the truth, to, to love according to the truth, to watch yourself and be guarded according to the truth, and to abide in the teaching of the truth. And there will be true unity in our midst when we all, as I noted earlier, when we all look to Christ. Not when we look around and say, how can we become more friendly to one another? Yes, we need to obey the commands of Scriptures and be friendly and be loving. Be hospitable. But we, we find true unity when we're founded in the truth of God's Word and we look to Christ as individual believers looking to the One who will make our thoughts and our actions Christ-honoring, and then there will be true unity. And then there will be true joy. Believe the truth. Know it. Obey it. Love according to it. Watch yourself according to it and abide in the teaching of the truth of God's Word. Stand with me, would you please? Stand with me as we close for word prayer this morning. We're not going to sing a, a, a hymn in closing this morning. I want these truths to ring into your ears as we leave together this morning. But I want, to, I want you to bow your head as we prepare to close with a word of prayer. I want to ask you to think about your own heart, about your own life. I want to challenge you 
Do you believe the truth of God's Word? Do you believe? Have you confessed your sin and believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? And if you have, are you taking steps? Are you taking concrete steps daily, weekly, to get the Word into your heart and mind? And then are you taking it personally, taking steps to obey it and live it? And then are you being cautious, prayerful, using the Word, allowing the Holy Spirit to help you? Are you being cautious about guarding your own heart and mind and what you allow in and what you allow out? Would you examine your own heart right now in the in silence of this time? Think about your own life. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would love to pray with you today and show you how you can know know Him personally and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ so that you can be saved from your sin. You can do it where you stand. You can pray right now, asking God to forgive you of your sins, telling Him that you believe He died for your sins, and accepting His free gift of salvation. If you're a follower of Christ, I challenge you. Read Second John again. Take it to heart. Know the truth. Guard your heart by the truth. Live the truth. Measure your words and thoughts and actions by the truth. Don't let anyone lead you away from the truth of God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this beautiful day that You've given us, this, this time that we've had to worship together today, to fellowship to open the Word together, to hear Your Word, to be challenged by the power of Your Word and the power of Your Holy Spirit to live the truth, to know the truth, to believe it, to guard ourselves by the truth, to walk in it. Father, how privileged we are to be able to gather together today for this time of worship, this time that we've had at the, at the Lord's table also, and remembering Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. Father, I pray that you would help us to live obediently. Help us to, to align our lives with the truth of your word. That we might bring great glory to you. That we might point many people to the truth with our lives, with our actions, with our obedience, with our love. But God, give us wisdom to guard our hearts and to, to protect your truth from those who would twist it and make it say something that it does not. Take it further than you intended it for it to go. God, guard our hearts and help us to be thoughtful and wise about what we point others to and commend that others should take in for themselves. God, give us wisdom as a people and as a church and help us to bring great glory to you as long as you tarry. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.